On September 12, 1995, McKay Everett disappeared from his home in Conroe, Texas. There was no sign of forced entry. It was just as if McKay had walked out of his own free will. And to this day, McKay's mother, Paulette, feels that justice was never truly served. Ransom is available now. Listen at ransompodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. I am, yeah. Okay. What kind of paperwork you got for me? Uh, I don't know. Court documents, that's all I know. Okay. Um, you don't know who they're from? Um, somewhere in Mississippi. Okay. And who are you with? Jackson Investigations. Okay. So you don't know anything about uh-uh, what no, they're I'm for? I'm just a paper person. Gotcha. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Right, have a good one. You too. Yeah. Dennis Cooper? Dennis, yeah. I got papers for him, too. If you could just shoot him a message or something and let him know I'm coming. Okay. Okay. All right. Have a good one. You, too. I've been asked many times over the past two years, when are you going to give an update? Or better yet, are you going to give an update? Obviously, the answer to that's yes. But up till now, I couldn't say that. Instead, I remained silent. For two reasons. One being that I really wasn't sure whether or not I'd release anything else. And the other being, I couldn't. At least that's what legal counsel recommended. Allow me to explain. Two people who were at the center of a series of popular true crime podcasts... So, in June of 2020, there was this lawsuit. You might have heard about it. The local news covered it, as did 48 Hours, who ran a special on this case during our time away. So yeah, I was sued. First time defendant here. And I don't say that to boast, more to stress the initial shock of it all. It was a lot to process. I'd been away for, I don't know, about nine months. Not to mention, at the time... I just returned from a family vacation. So yeah, I was feeling pretty far removed. And in a way, ready to move on. Which was a weird feeling. Having been so close to this story for years, it almost felt wrong to tell myself, hey, it's over. It's time to move on to something new. But boy, does this case have a way of drawing you back in. And while I knew better than to think it was actually over, I sure didn't expect to be drawn back in the way I was. A knock at my door on June 22nd, 2020, and a smiling stranger on my front porch, papers in hand, the proverbial, you've been served. And what was on those papers stung even more. The lawsuit was from two plaintiffs, Whitley Goodman and Jet Miller. A quote, complaint for defamation and for temporary restraining order, permanent injunction, monetary judgment for damages, intentional infliction of emotional distress, punitive damages, 
and other relief. And what probably stung the most, the plaintiffs were seeking $5 million in actual damages and $42 million in punitive damages. Run those numbers, and you get $47 million. Yes, you heard that correctly. That's what was being sought in damages between myself and a host of other defendants. So, we lawyered up. My name is Henry Laird. I am an attorney in Gulfport, Mississippi. I represented Black Mountain Media in a defamation and false light invasion of privacy case brought in Meridian, Mississippi, concerning the death of Christian Andrecchio and a podcast that Black Mountain Media did called Couple a couple of years ago. Defamation and invasion of privacy are claims that are different from many other kinds of lawsuits and other kinds of claims. Defamation is a claim that someone's reputation has been lost because of some false injurious statement having been published. False light invasion of privacy is not a claim that one's reputation has been damaged, but that his feelings have been hurt. But the one thing they have in common is you start out by looking at the words that were published in either claim, whether it's defamation or false light invasion of privacy. And you take those words, you look at what words were published, and you ask the question straight up and down, is this defamatory? Is it false? Does it hurt somebody's reputation? Did we say something that was wrong? And the answer to all that was no. Just looking at the words, I could tell that my clients were not guilty of defamation or false light invasion of privacy. As I mentioned, we weren't the only defendants in this case. Also named were Ray, Todd, and Alexa Andriacchio, Ray's brother, Chris Thompson, executive producers Payne Lindsay and Donald Albright, PI and podcaster Sheila Wysocki, and 50 unnamed John Doe's. Though we had a shared interest with other defendants, Henry only represented us, the executive producers from Black Mountain Media, now Resonate Recordings. The lawsuit was filed, and Black Mountain Media and three of its principals, Mark Minery, Dennis, and Jacob, were sued individually. We started out taking the allegations that the plaintiffs made, and we filed motions to dismiss, a basis that there was no claim stated, that even if what the plaintiffs were alleging was true, there still was no valid claims. And the court agreed with that proposition, or rather allowed the plaintiffs to refile their complaint. And they did, they made new allegations, and so then we filed another motion to dismiss. And while that was pending, we took the discovery of both the plaintiffs. That would be, that was, under oath sworn testimony, where the lawyers for the defendants asked the plaintiffs questions, and under oath, the plaintiffs gave answers. We'd almost made it through the first half of depositions. The morning of August 24, 2021, was set to be Jet's final day of deposition, and Whitley's first day. Instead, everything came to an abrupt halt when their attorney, Seth Hunter, notified Henry that he was planning on filing a motion to dismiss and said his clients would not be participating in their scheduled depositions. In the deposition, really, 
we just reinforced what we thought we knew before the deposition, which is that Black Mountain Media did nothing wrong. Basically, what we learned is everything that we had reported in the podcast were true facts. The gist, the upshot of the plaintiff's complaint was that all the defendants, including Black Mountain Media, said that they, Jet Miller and Whitley Goodman, murdered Christian Andreacchio. And my clients didn't say that anybody murdered Christian Andreacchio, including Jet Miller and Whitley Goodman. My clients never took a position that he died by suicide or murder or anything else. Getting 90% through the deposition of Jet Miller, I believe we proved that what we had been defending the case on were valid points. That is, primarily, what we reported was true. Your defenses are strong. That's a phrase Henry echoed throughout the process, many times as a way to relieve us. We'd never been through something like this before. It was easy to slip into negativity. But thankfully, Henry was confident. And most importantly, in the end, he was right. We never really had to get to so many constitutional defenses, First Amendment defenses about the plaintiffs were public figures. They injected themselves into a controversy or were injected into a controversy. And as a result, if we had gone further in the case, the plaintiffs would have to have proven that we knew in advance that what we were publishing was false. So we didn't have to get to that, that defense. We made the defense, but we never had to argue it. But long and short of it is, the case was dismissed with prejudice, meaning that the case was over with and could not be refiled. Where it stands is that the claims that the plaintiffs brought against all the defendants are forever terminated. It's over with. To that extent, it's as if it never happened because it's a clean slate. Everything in the past is now finished. My clients face no jeopardy. They're at no risk for what had been published because it's public record that the case is dismissed with prejudice. That means any claim that was filed or could have been filed is terminated. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. 
I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale, it's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. When it was all said and done, about a year and a half had passed since the day we were served. Honestly, it felt longer than that. And because of this pseudo-barrier in place, courtesy of the lawsuit, it had also been about a year and a half since I'd had an actual conversation with Ray. Needless to say, it was time to give her a call. It feels so weird talking to you right now, Ray. I know, it's been a while. I was thinking driving to the house today. I said, it's been, I guess, two and a half years since the podcast ended, or I think that's right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. it's been a long time. It's been <laughs> <laughs> a lot yeah. has happened in between that time. Yeah, it's been a little while, but it's nice to hear your voice. I hope everything's going well with you all there. And yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. What I'd ask Ray to do is just fill me in. What's been happening in the world of Meridian, Mississippi? What's been happening with them and with Christian's case? I'd obviously kept an eye on things, but again, I hadn't talked with Ray in quite some time. The first thing I asked was what she'd been up to. Unsurprisingly, I learned she'd been very busy since we last spoke. I think that the podcast wrapped just, you know, a month or two before the district attorney's election. And of course, that was a very contentious campaign and election. And then Cassie Coleman defeated Michael Grace, who was the candidate we were backing. And I think she won by about 600 votes. So it was a very tight race. The first thing we did was we contested Cassie's eligibility to be district attorney. And we filed a lawsuit challenging her residency. And that went on for probably a year because that had to be heard by a special assigned appointed judge. And that kind of took a while. And I think it was about a year and then they ruled against us for procedural reasons. She never really had to prove her residency because we didn't get past procedural issues that the court had saying that we didn't follow the correct process, which was not very clear in the statutes or the law. From here, Ray decided to appeal the decision. She says that while she didn't expect to win her appeal, she still felt it was important to take it to the Supreme Court and thought, if anything, it could be a means to better understand the eligibility process in the future. Ultimately, she was right in her assumption regarding the appeal. The court did not overturn the judge's original decision. But things didn't slow down after this. If anything, they picked up. There were several lawsuits that we filed due to how the case file was released, and we ended up filing a lawsuit against Marvin Sanders, who was the prosecutor with the Attorney General's office. And he presented Christian's case to the grand jury, who made the decision to 
release the case file and the autopsy photos and all of Christian's phone records. And we also, I think that case was dismissed because again, they said that it was filed in the wrong court. So then we refiled that and that case is currently making its way through the courts. We filed a lawsuit against Richie McAllister for going around and soliciting people to look at the autopsy photos. We really don't know why Richie McAllister got involved in Christian's case. He first popped up in July of 2019 when everybody just refers to it as the leaked meeting. And he attended that meeting and, you know, took a pretty active part in the meeting and, you know, made a comment about having to piss on a dead kid's grave in order to get the case dropped or the us to drop pursuing anything. But the main thing he did was there was a particular individual that he invited up to his office and I really kind of insisted that he come to his office and he began showing him Christian's autopsy photos. A lot of his actions caused us a lot of emotional upheaval, I guess you'd say. So that's basically why we're suing him. So there's a whole bunch of different lawsuits going on that we're kind of keeping us busy. Sounds like it. That's a lot. I mean, we just dealt with the one, so I can't imagine how exhausting that is. And it all kind of intertwines. You know, there's emails to Marvin Sanders kind of bragging about that the file has been shared over 2,000 times on social media or downloaded. And so all of that was done in an intentional way, trying to discredit us, trying to probably bully us into just letting it go. And, you know, at the time it was very, I think I remember talking to you and you saying that you'd never heard me so upset the, the day that, you know, we got the case file and saw that the autopsy photos and everything was in there. And it was, you know, something that I'm still very, very um, touchy about, I guess you'd say. The release of the case file and autopsy photos was obviously really hard on Ray. She says it's still hard to this day. But in it, she came to a realization that no one should ever have to go through something like this, having a loved one's autopsy photos posted all over the internet. And she makes a point. Why wouldn't there be protection against that? Well now, in the state of Mississippi, there is. If there's one good thing that came out of this travesty, It's that it inspired Ray to create a law that would protect people from this very offense. And you can probably guess what she named it. It took two years, but we got Christian's law passed this past July. Which, by the way, congratulations. That's amazing, yeah, because I do remember the hurt and trying to imagine what that must have felt like and going through that. But at the end of the day, at least you took that and used it as fuel to go out there and make change happen and and protect other people from having to face that same thing. So I think that's very, very admirable. Yeah, I think that's one of the the proudest moments, I guess you'd say, from all of this happening was that because it took, you know, so many people were against us. I mean, you know, it's like I told the different legislatures, 
this will protect the very people who are hurting us. You know, we're not discriminating against, I mean, there's no way to discriminate against, you know, just certain people that's helping just certain people. This will help anybody in the state of Mississippi that they, you know, we're on social media making fun of our efforts to get that law passed and talking about how it never happened and, you know, I'd never get that done. And, and even people calling last year and trying to talk certain people, you know, senators or representatives to not vote for it. And I'm thinking, you know, how vindictive can you be or how screwed up can your moral compass be that you think it's okay what you did but it unanimously not one person voted against it in the house or senate uh it's one thing that everybody could agree on and it was very touching moment when they voted and all the different senators started standing up saying they wanted their name on the bill and they wanted to be co-authors and so that was very affirming, I guess, and just very touching. And even the, you know, the lobbyist that I had that was helping me the second year and that we tried to get this done or did get it done, he had told me, now, Ray, we'll probably get it passed as a law, but it will not have Christian's name on it. You know, we just don't expect that. You can call it Christian's law, but it, you know, it won't have his name on it. So I really, really appreciate the people who made sure that Christian's name was on the bill. One of the driving forces behind this was Mississippi Representative Fred Shanks, who we'll hear from. He really led the charge with Christian's law. But more than a man helping get the law passed, he was a friend, an ally of Ray's throughout the process, all the way to the passing of Christian's law in March of 2021. Fred Shanks and some different people would call me and say, look, don't get upset, we're gonna get this passed. And so it was very touching that they took the time to call me personally and like try to calm me down. <laughs> and, say, and you know how I could get and say, look, take a breath, it's gonna be okay, we're gonna get this done, you know? And so it was a very emotional moment several times, you know, because they actually tape their, the votes and everything. And so I was able to watch on YouTube when they voted each time. And so anyway, it was it was very just a very proud moment. It wasn't just Ray who felt this. It was a proud moment for Fred too. He calls it one of his biggest accomplishments. Knowing him only as a state representative behind the now in effect Christian's law, I was curious to hear how he got involved in the first place. The biggest thing that got me is one, it happened in Mississippi, I happened to also be a police officer where in, in my district you know, I, I listened to one episode and I got hooked. And then I started thinking, you know, what can I do to help this family? I just thought there had been a grave injustice there. And I started looking into it and reaching out to different contacts that I had. I actually had, had spoken to Ray a, a time or two and was trying to help get through red tape, you know, just any, anything that I could do. And then I see the story on 48 Hours. And I saw that Ray mentioned that she was interested in getting a bill passed. And I was like, well, hell, I'm going to do everything I can to help her do that. She kind of filled me in on what she wanted and the basis of the bill. And I thought it was a fantastic idea. I thought it was needed because, uh, you know, what had happened to the family was absolutely horrendous by the autopsy being put on social media the way it did. Horrible pictures of what happened to their family member. 
I mean, it's unfathomable that that would be a problem that you would run into. But that is what happens. You know, you can't unsee that. And it did some damage to the family for, you know, having to look at that. Hey, culpable listeners. I want to tell you about something that's personal to me, something we've been working on here at Resonate for quite some time. It's called Resound, a free-to-use, mobile-first AI editing software. We believe a creator should be free to focus on their message rather than their mess-ups. So when it comes to editing your podcast, finding and removing every one of those pesky ums and ahs to make clean, listenable audio, save yourself time and money, and let Resound do the work for you. Resound is coming very soon. Request early access at resound.fm forward slash culpable so you can help us shape the future of podcasting. For Fred, once the wait set in, there was no going back. The bill was going to get passed one way or the other. It had to. No matter how difficult the challenge ahead would be, they knew what they were up against. When Ray and I had talked and she told me her ideas on the bill, you know, she said that she was getting some, some pushback from some people in her community. You know, they would say, no, you're never going to get a bill passed. You, know, you don't know anybody. And then, you know, you certainly we would never be called Christian's law. You know, it'd never be his name. And, you know, I already wanted to help and was going to help. And then she started saying these type of things. And that just, you know, so the fire got going in me. I was like, you know, that's ridiculous to, to have people in your community say things like that. So we got the bill written up. And then I worked the bill through the house and uh, worked my colleagues and, there was actually a little bit of concern on some that some of the reps had and senators who were from that area because it was such a divisive topic, I guess, in town of the name. And I just told them, you know, I gave myself that Braveheart speech, <laughs> and and I said, no, we're all signing this, and we're getting it done, and we're going to blow it up. We're going to put it all over social media, and and that's exactly what we did, and we got it passed. And it, that was one of my, you know, finest achievements was meeting Ray uh, at Capitol, at the governor's desk, where he actually signed the bill. It was an awesome day. Christian's Law is a huge win. Getting any bill to pass is a feat in itself. Just listen to this process. Fred says that once the legislator and sponsor come up with an idea for a bill, the legislator will then meet with staff attorneys. The attorneys research and write the language for the bill. Once it's written, the bill gets dropped by the legislator, and then it's assigned to a committee, which it has to get voted on and pass. At that time, it heads to the House floor. Once the bill passes through the House floor, it crosses over to a Senate committee, which starts the same process over. Once the bill passes the Senate, it is either concurred on or goes to conference to iron out the details. And after all that, it ultimately goes to the governor to get signed into law. Like I said, just getting through the process is a win in itself. But the ultimate win is what the passing of that law means. The law, it's pretty simple in, in what it does. It provides confidentiality of autopsy results, so like photos, videos, recordings, anything like that. And it becomes a court order to where if there's, say, an investigator who needs to look at those results, they can do that. But if they knowingly put these results on social media, or show someone that, and essentially too, the, the family ha has to be notified of who gets to look at these as well. You know, if they 
expose these things to social media or anywhere outside of the scope of what their investigation is, they're in some serious trouble. They're looking at a year in jail and a felony. It tightens the control of who gets to see the autopsy. Because we all know whoever put the autopsy results on social media did that in a vindictive manner. I mean, they did that on purpose. They went out of their way to do that. And this will correct that problem. Fixing the problem was always the main goal. But Fred says there's more to it than just the passing of this much-needed law. It's about what Ray and the Andriacchio family had to go through, and in the end, what they were able to accomplish. Fred hopes that people walk away from this feeling empowered. I mean, it shows that an idea of somebody who was affected by something so horrendous as, as you know, somebody vindictively putting autopsy results just out on social media, it, it shows that that person has an avenue to help create a law that will stop that in the future by using their state representative to do so. And it puts that law on notice. And also, it'll potentially save many other families, you know, hopefully we'll never have to go through this because of this law that the Andriacchio family had the will to see this thing through. Mississippi House Bill 70, i.e. Christian's Law, was officially signed into law by Governor Tate Reeves on March 4th, 2021. Obviously, this was a big win for the Andriacchios. Suffice to say, there hasn't been a ton of those over the past eight years. Trust me, I know. Certainly the Andriacchios know. I think we can all see how grueling, how exhausting this has been for everyone involved, especially Ray and Todd. And if for some reason you can't, I think you can at least acknowledge the tragedy that started this whole thing. Even our attorney Henry hit on this. With the Andrecchio family who lost a young man, a son, a sibling, how it happened is, I guess, secondary to the fact that it did happen. They've lost him. So that, that's, that's a tragedy I hope I never have to experience. But they lost a child and he died violently. And that family wanted closure and could not get it. At least it felt like it couldn't get it. He's right. And the thing about it is, no matter the magnitude, it's not an isolated thing at this point. One thing leads to another. Tragedies can sometimes compound. Let's be honest. Isn't that what happened here? The other tragedy is, regardless of how young Christian Andrecchio died, the public speculated about how that happened. And the public rightly asked questions about how that happened. And in that process, because the plaintiffs knew Christian Andrecchio, they were brought into it. They, they became part of the conversation. And when these conversations take place, sometimes people ask questions that are impertinent. Sometimes they ask questions that hurt feelings. Sometimes they say things on the internet that hurt people's feelings. And, and that happened here, I'm convinced. Uh, the plaintiffs, tragically, were brought into a controversy where people speculated about what happened. And so it was just that, speculation. And the other tragedy may be that through all this, it became apparent that the case was not investigated as cleanly as it should be. I think the evidence there is that the district attorney has learned or did learn last year of evidence that had not been made public beforehand and she felt like it needed to be investigated. So 
that's part of the tragedy. Both sides of this thing, whether you are the Andrecchio family and friends or whether you're the plaintiff's family and friends, this thing needs to be resolved. This thing being how he died, if it can be. The evidence Henry refers to are police reports published by MPD's Captain Jay Arrington, which made their rounds through the public about a year after we aired. These are old reports, dated back to 2017, but in a way, they're new. Remember, this case was presented to a jury back in 2017, and we were all told that everything was presented to them. Well, it seems that's not true, and that's a problem. There's a lot to digest in these reports. I really don't know how to determine their overall significance, nor do I know where they will take this case. What I do know is they are a part of it now, and they are worth discussing. So that's what we're going to do. Better late than never. Look, I want this to come to an end just as much as the next person, but you don't get there, at least not the right way, through a jury of your peers, without going over this, which is what should have happened in the first place. Culpable is a production of Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13, written and hosted by me, Dennis Cooper. Executive producers are Jacob Bozarth, Mark Mennery, Dennis Cooper, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Additional production by Jessica Knoll. Audio editing and sound design by Resonate Recordings. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at ResonateRecordings.com. Our theme music and score is by Dirt Poor Robbins. Cover art by Drew Bardana. Additional music by Lovers and Mad Men and Andy Walker. You can follow us on social media at Culpable Podcast. Show notes as well as bonus content can be found on our website, culpablepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening.